Welcome to the next episode of Rewired Podcast. I'm Bailey. And I'm Kelly. And today we're talking about not my most favorite character, but probably my most second favorite character. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Today we're talking about Bodhi. Bodhi. Uh, And specifically Bodhi's head coverings. Yes, because although all the characters, or most of the characters we see, wear some kind of head covering at some point... Um, I don't think anyone does it as consistently as Bodhi. Right. So, well, and I guess we're going to get into this, but there are very specific times where he covers his head. And specific times that he uncovers his head. Um, And so that's what we're going to talk about. Okay, so let's start by talking about just sort of the importance of clothing in general. Yeah. And what it means to have sort of a signature look, I guess. Yeah, um... And I think what we see in The Wire is uniforms a lot Mm -hmm. um, among the police. And it's a way of demarcating the status. Because when you see, um, you know, various people get promoted within the police force, their dress uniform Mm -hmm. changes, and we see those ceremonies. Well, and they talk about the stripes a lot. Like, they're always using their three fingers to, to tap their shoulders to show that they... Right. And then there's also the, um, like, patrol uniform versus plain clothes. And the patrol is, you know, of a lower um, status, I guess, than, like, a plain clothes detail. Right. Um, So that's what's interesting about the uniforms in the police. But we see it also in a kind of street uniform because the young hoppers, especially in season three and season four, start wearing just the white t-shirts and they're all wearing white Mm t-shirts and it's a way of making them less distinguishable to police and that's what kind of gets uh, Bubbles Depot going is that he's selling the whiteies. Yeah, exactly and I think that that's kind of something that we wouldn't necessarily expect, I think, for those of us outside of gang culture, we sort of assume that there are gang colors and you're associated with blood, so you wear reds or the crips are blue. Um, but in, in The Wire, we definitely see sort of an overall white theme. Yeah, it's interesting that we really don't see anything about colors delineating east side versus west side or like Marlowe's crew versus anyone mm-hmm. else. Um, the only thing that I will say is that it seems like as Marlowe starts to rise to the top, we see more and more hoppers in all white. Yeah, yeah, so. for sure. So Bodhi, uh, as far as his street uniform goes, uh, he has these head coverings that he wears, uh, the do-rag, and then also sometimes the hood. Um, so maybe before we delve into what it means and these key scenes, let's talk about some literary examples, symbolism of hats and hoods. Definitely. Okay, the broader context. So I think we certainly see that when it comes to Breaking Bad. Now, again, we're going to go back to Breaking Bad. I'll lead this part of the conversation, Kel, because we know how you feel about it. Yeah. Um, but the, the pork pie hat that Walter White wears is very significant in Breaking Bad. So as he becomes more and more Heisenberg, his sort of evil drug dealer, drug lord, alter ego, it is really that hat that changes him. And even in an interview, um, Brian Cranston addresses that. So it was a Huffington Post interview. He says, it changes how you present yourself or how you feel about yourself, depending on what you're wearing. So Walter White goes to that touchstone, that talisman of a pork pie hat, And the man, when he puts that on, it changes him. 
And I think that that's a really good way of explaining it. And he kind of, it's almost like he doesn't have the confidence to be Heisenberg at first. He's, you know, just the sort of nice guy science teacher. Um, but the hat is what gives him the confidence to become this drug lord. And as, of course, the show progresses, he needs the talisman of the hat less and less and becomes more and more the embodiment of Heisenberg. So does he still wear the hat towards the end? Yeah, he still wears the hat towards the end, but you see him sort of needing it less and less, whereas mm. in the beginning he really requires that hat yeah. to be the bad guy, the the big bad guy. Well, and so you touched on how he needs it as a, a marker of confidence, and there's other examples of that in literature. So um, a lot of people are probably familiar with Catcher in the Rye, um, and so Holden Caulfield gets this hunting hat uh, uh-huh. early on in the novel, and the hunting hat appears at really key scenes when Holden wants to uh, feel good about himself or bolster his confidence. So I'm going to read... Um, this one section from Catcher in the Rye. It says, I put on this hat that I'd bought in New York that morning. It was this red hunting hat with one of those very, very long peaks. I saw it in the window of this sports store when we got out of the subway just after I noticed I'd lost all the goddamn foils. It only cost me a buck. The way I wore it, I swung the old peak around to the back. Very corny, I'll admit, but I liked it that I, I liked it that way. I looked good in it that way. Mm-hmm. And so... Holden has just lost all of the fencing equipment and he's like feeling really badly about himself and then putting this hat on you know gives him more confidence and he does it again throughout the book like when he's writing um the the letter to his dead brother Ali he's wearing the hunting hat and a a couple other key moments Mm -hmm. Um, so there's definitely some precedence for a hat or a head covering um, having having serious significance. Definitely. Well, and I think sort of broader in r- literature, like when we look at it more broadly, there is always this sort of um, reoccurring theme of transformation with certain things for folks. So, I mean, even Disney uses it. I'm thinking of The Little Mermaid. Um, Ursula has the seashell necklace that has Ariel's voice, mm-hmm. right? And and for Ariel, it's actually giving her voice to that seashell necklace that allows her to become a human and walk on land and all that stuff. But um, I'm thinking of superheroes too. Certainly, the idea of like Iron Man when he puts on his mask, yeah, you know, that's what leads him to become the superhero. Whereas without it, he's just the regular guy. There's a writer whose name is Alison Lurie, and she published a book um, called The Language of Clothes, which really touches on a lot of that, and it's about the semiotics of clothing, and semiotics being these signs Mm. that we either, I guess, um, broadcast or interpret in the world around us. And so clothes are a a big um, kind of semiotic um, point. And so just getting back to hats, I'll, I'll go to another article here. This is by Diana Crane, and uh, we'll put it in our show notes. But the article is called The Social Meanings of Hats and T-Shirts, Fashion and Its Social Agendas, Class, Gender, and Identity in Clothing. Um, and so what she says here, there is a, a kind of an important point. Men's hats were also used to claim and maintain rather than to confuse social status, as seen in the fact that specific types of hats become closely identified with particular social strata. Hmm. 
Um, so definitely, I think if we think about the do rag as a type of hat or the hood as a type of hat, that has been identified with the um, kind of urban poor community. Like that's the social strata that it signifies. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, should we talk about Bodhi? Yeah, so the first scene where we kind of see him using the hood as a piece of transformation and certainly in the same way that uh, Holden and Heisenberg use them as uh, sources of confidence, we would play this clip, but there's actually very little audio, so it makes sense to just sort of describe it, but, you know, he's told by... Stringer that he has to take out Wallace and Wallace has sort of been protected by D'Angelo up until this point but Stringer makes the call and we also at this point don't really like Bodhi he's definitely like committed to the game he's kind of he's certainly a bit cruel to Wallace he he talks to Wallace and says you know you're you're a boy you're not a man and that's repeated of course when he actually goes to kill Wallace yeah um, when they're having the in the in the snack shop and they're eating their sandwiches he says you're just a little boy talking about your mama and there's a point where uh, Wallace is playing with a transformation toy or a transformer toy and um, Bodie throws the glass at his head Remember that scene? Oh, I don't. Um, Anyway, so we're kind of told over and over that Wallace is representing innocence in this scenario, um, and he isn't as committed to the game as Bodie is. So what happens is when they decide that, okay, it's time to do Wallace, they send Wallace up in the vacant in front of them, and um, Pook and Bodie are behind him. Wallace is looking for the little kids that they take care of, those the hoppers. And um, basically, Bodie puts on his hood. Mm-hmm. And that's the significant sort of point where we know that he's going to do this. Yeah. Because we've then, never seen him wear a hood to this point. Right. Have we seen him wear a do-rag? I think we must have seen him wear a do-rag, but... Um, yeah, the hood that he puts up and then he shoots Wallace. Um, I think, you know, there's another writer, Alison Kinney, who writes about hoods and hoodies and reminds us that executioners wear hoods. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, Bodhi's kind of, you know, putting on the hood, putting on this uniform of executioner and then kills Wallace. And the sort of traditional form of uh, death depicted as a sort of personification of death or whatever that illustration is always with the hood and the side. Yeah, the, I guess the, that's the Grim Reaper. Oh, yeah, the Grim yeah, Reaper. Yeah, yeah, he wears a hood as well. Um, so, and then, but prior to that, and a couple times after, we see Bodhi without any head coverings, um, like when he's in court. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's all cleaned up. And this is when he's, like, performing this goodness or uh, reform of some kind um, and then we also see him without a hood when he's in Boys Village yeah but and that reminds us you know he's in Boys Village it's baby booking right yeah. he's just a kid but then he does I believe put the hood up when he's gonna take the mop and escape yes he does he right. wears his hood so that, that is point. before Wallace but I mean I think our point still stands yes Yes, that's right. Well, that again, that was uh, the hood going up to sort of escape and to disguise himself. Yeah, and signifying that he's going back to that life of 
mm-hmm. game, you know? He's um, yes. returning. And when we, when we see that point of killing um, Wallace and he's wearing the hood, we should question whether or not he does get the confidence he needs from the talisman of the hood because he actually is not the one that kills Wallace. He's unable to do it. Right? He, he draws out the conversation and finally Poot says do it or don't like and then they fire together but mm. you know yeah before that Bodhi really kind of draws it he out hesitates and you have a moment of annoy like in that moment I the first time I watched it I hated Bodhi because how could he be doing this to his friend but I also in later watchings of it sort of have this moment of compassion for Bodhi that he's been asked to do something that he doesn't actually have the courage to do yeah um okay so after that, later seasons, we almost always see Bodhi in a do-rag. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. So I'm going to read from an article here in The New Yorker because there was a photographer whose name is John Edmonds, and he did a whole series of portraits of men in do-rags. Um, and so he gives a little history that the origins of do-rags are often linked to American slavery when women wore head wraps in the field to protect them from the punishing heat. Uh, In some regions of the South, black women were required by law to cover their hair as a mark of enslavement. These same women also used their head wraps as beauty embellishments that, depending on how they were tied, signified communal identities. Um, So that speaks to the way that a do-rag signifies belonging in a certain community. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, of course, like the meaning changed as they were adopted more by men. Um, And so then Edmund says... He remembered wearing his mother he remembered his mother wearing do-rags when he was a child. Now he saw them functioning as performative gestures of black masculinity. And I think that speaks to Bodhi wearing the do-rag as performative black masculinity mm-hmm. um, and a sense of belonging in this hyper-masculine, tough street culture. Mm-hmm. And that he really needs that as we saw with Heisenberg, like talisman of sorts, mm-hmm. um, to represent his identity and, and solidify his place in the community that he belongs. And one of the actual last scenes that we see Bodhi in uh, is when he and McNulty go to the Arboretum, Arboretum and they're, they're sitting in the park eating their sandwiches, and Bodhi is struggling with whether or not he wants to rat and he, you know, he doesn't like the way Marlo has done things, but he also doesn't want to turn on any of the Barksdale crew. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that scene, he has his do-rag with him, but he isn't wearing it tied. It's just sort of draped on his head, and sometimes it's just draped on his shoulder. So it's signifying, like, I think a struggle or a non-commitment or, you know, trying to determine what his future will be. Yeah, there's a couple other times where we see it not fully tied, um, and one of them is when he has to go talk to Marlo mm-hmm. um, and try to like negotiate the real estate of the corners. And maybe that's another example of him feeling um, out of place in the community or struggling with where, where he belongs, literally and physically, because he doesn't know anymore what corner he can stand on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and also just, you know, this is when... Avon's gone, Stringer's almost gone. Mm-hmm. Like, the Barksdale organization is kind of falling apart at this point, and, yeah. and Bodhi is, is struggling with that. Yeah. So, um, so that's all, I think, 
pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk a little bit about what um, has been dubbed by Alice and Lurie, this person that I spoke about before, what she calls clothing of ill omen. Um, and she says that clothing of ill omen is a, a piece of clothing or, a gar- sorry, it's actually garment of ill o- o- omen, um, something that draws um, negative events. And so she talks about the hood and how the hood is a garment of ill omen. And we've talked about, you know, executioners and the Grim Reaper. There's also that um, plague doctor wears like a big hood. And so when you see the plague doctor walking, that's an omen of death. Mm. Um, Yeah, but so I think um, the hood is also just as important as the do-rag. Absolutely, and I think I think when Bodhi is expected to kill, uh, it is the hood that he turns to rather than the do rag. The yeah. do rag seems to be more about finding position within the organization and sort of his everyday life, but the hood is very specifically related to me for Bodhi, with the exception of maybe escaping Boy's Village, of of killing. Mm-hmm. And so, should we talk about his? final scene okay yeah let's talk about the final scene okay um so Bodhi's death uh I guess we could maybe look at this clip there's a little audio in the beginning that I think is important so let's play it spider what's the count I don't even think we're gonna sell out today man Yo, Bodie. Yo, Bodie. Yo, Bodie, you better run, yo. Yo, this is my corner. I ain't running nowhere. Yo, Bodie, is you crazy? what you heard there was Poot saying like come on like let's go yeah and Bodhi says no like I'm I'm gonna stand here this is my corner and he's got his hood up and he must know what's coming right and And, but he very specifically puts up his hood like I think that's a, a very um, specific gesture that we watch him do as soon as he knows he's going to stand on his corner. Yeah. So he, and I think for us, it's like, it's representing him going to battle. Yes. And in battle, you win or you die. And he dies. Yeah. And the way we see him die is that he actually gets shot through the hood. Mm-hmm. And then the final shot of Bodhi, we don't see his face. We just see the back of the hood with the bullet wound. And that's the end of Bodhi. Um, so what is significant about that, I think, is, first of all, him dying in his hood, this, yeah. um, like, marker of who he's been throughout the series. 
But also that, um, you know, prisoners who are executed wear hoods as well. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, that's kind of an old-fashioned thing. But, like, for hangings and mm-hmm. electric chairs, they would hood them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just as Bodhi in season one put on the hood to become the executioner, at the end, his final scene, he puts on the hood and becomes the executed. Yes. And maybe that speaks a little bit to him being a prisoner of, like, this system that he's in. Definitely. And it's interesting because we never do actually see the person who shoots Bodhi. It's, you know, it's that's a very hidden figure as well. There's sort of darting through the shadows, there's furtive movements, but there's there's no clear like coming up and shooting, which we've seen a lot from Chris and Snoop, right? Yeah. They're they're very obvious in their shootings. I think um, in reading that book by Jonathan Abrams, we learned that it was O Dog, one of uh, Marlo's crew, who kills Bodie, but that's never really made clear. Um, and you know, this is ob- very hard for McNulty. Yes, McNulty does not react well. Um, and I mean, McNulty feels guilty because it happened because they saw Bodie with police and right. they're like, we can't have anyone snitching. And then so. of course, Poot makes that even clearer to McNulty. Yeah. He's like, get away from me or handcuff me. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about do-rags, hoodies, death in hoodies. And I mean, we would be remiss not to talk about how politicized the hoodie is today as a Mm -hmm. garment, Mm -hmm. especially um, in the wake of the Trayvon Martin shooting um, and how tragic that was that he was viewed as suspicious just for being black and wearing a hoodie. Yeah. And a hood. Yeah. Um, And, you know, Trayvon Martin dies in his hood, just like not just like, but like Mm -hmm. similarly to Bodhi. Um, So I'm going to again refer to another article here. Um, This one's from Vice about how the hoodie became a racially charged garment. And actually this Vice article references what we've been talking about here, the Alison Lurie uh, Guide to Fashion Semiotics, where she writes about garments of ill omen that bring dismay and harm to their wearers. So, So that's the hoodie. So in this article, um, the author writes, Hoodies are now tangled up in a seemingly never-ending conversation America is having about race, socioeconomic status, and violence perpetrated against black bodies. So it seems grimly appropriate that when 12-year-old Tamir Rice was gunned down in a public park by a Cleveland police officer because he was playing with a toy gun, he was wearing a hoodie. Yeah. And then there's examples of um, establishments, you know, saying no hoodies allowed Mm -hmm. and... Uh, the the hoodie seems to just have now become a marker of, I don't know, like street culture, gang life, somehow viewed as threatening. Yeah, but I think I think it goes in part with the sort of white fear of black bodies. A hundred percent. And the and the way that the hoodie and the do rag both um, are sort of racialized garments that then play into that white fear of black bodies. Yes, because, I mean, there's no fear of white people in hoodies. No. It's only black bodies in hoodies that are causing all of this distress. Exactly. And so it would be interesting to know what, you know, David Simon, 10 years out from having Bodie in his hood, what he might reflect on where we are with hoods now. Yeah, and that's something that's um, 
you know, I've thought about a little bit, I know you've thought about is the wire all took place pre black lives matter. Mm -hmm. Um, and what would take place in that show if it were now? And, um, you know, for instance, Presbo killing that undercover cop Mm -hmm. and there's a racial component to that. Um, it's true. But there are, there, I mean, there are movements now and, and to reclaim the hoodie. And um, I think the, the one is called the One Million Hoodies or something like that. And just um, like really working to depoliticize it as a garment. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, so is there anything else we should talk about? Um, well, if anyone else has any uh, important thoughts about when Bodhi's got his head covered, when he doesn't have his head covered, we'd like to hear about it. You can email us at podcast.rewired at gmail.com. Or you can tweet us at Rewired Podcast. And uh, so we hope to hear from you soon. We'll have another episode up uh, in a bit. And see you next time. Way, way down, down in the, the hole. hole.